this was a team I thought that our fan base could really get behind and be proud of. Welcome into the Scarlet Shootaround podcast, following the beat of Husker basketball. Here are your hosts, Blake and Mike. Nebraska wakes up from a first half slumber to beat North Dakota 83 to 75. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Scarlet Shootaround podcast. My name is Blake here with co-host Mike and Mike. I don't, I, uh, this game was way, way, way more stressful than I had ever anticipated it being. So sorry to ruin your excursion up north uh, with this stressful game. But, boy, I, that was scary for a minute. Yeah, you mentioned a first-half slumber. It was looking like a first-half nightmare out there, honestly. Uh, down, 10, down 10 at half for the fellas. It's not, a, not exactly where you want to be in a game that we had previewed and said, well, this should be a blowout. This team's not very good. So... A little more stressful, like you said, than we thought. I didn't, you know, get a chance to watch. I kept checking the score religiously on my phone, though, every chance I had. And it was not a good first half. Uh, I was definitely happy to eat in the second half when I saw that we had clawed back the lead and happy that we were able to close it out. So, Yeah, my work duties called me in, and I actually had to watch it while trying to uh, deal poker at my employment place. I do not work at a casino, (laughs) uh, by the way. But uh, it was very hard to focus on on all the calls and folds while I'm sweating over Nebraska ball being down 10 to uh, the Fighting Hawks. But we came out with a win. So, Mike, let's get into it a little bit. Uh, Huskers shoot 46% from the field, uh, 34% from three. Uh, You know, the the field numbers – you know, okay, I think it was built up on like 50-some percent in the second half, 54 or 55% in the second half. First half was obviously abysmal. But, uh, you know, star players, Mike Wilcher, we, you know, talked about, you know, it's one of these games he's going to have to explode. Fred came out and, and said that Wilcher's shooting it way too good in practice to, uh, you know, to not have a good day. He finally comes out, has a stat line of 16-4-1. and one. Uh, He only played in 19 minutes, and really he kept this team afloat in the first half. Yeah, we needed every every bit of it, as you mentioned, 16 off the bench. Um, I think that's now the 10th double-digit double scorer off the bench we've had in 12 games, which is pretty impressive if you ask me. But needed needed all of it from him, as you mentioned, kept us in the game uh, there in the first half. Gary then goes for 12-12-2, so another monster rebounding performance from him. Goes four from eight from the field, three for five from deep. Um, you know, Mike, I've – already been public about how his shot looks a little bit funky to me. I kind of cringe at time to time, but Mike, as it sits right now, he's shooting 39% from three on the season. I, yeah, I think as I had mentioned, I think previously, you got to give him the green light. I know you had mentioned a couple air balls in there and stuff, but I think if he's hitting it at that good of a clip, I think you just got to let him shoot. I mean, you're just gonna have to live with the poor shots when they happen because what it brings to the offense when he can make that and, and he draws kind of like what I talk about with Mast, when he draws the defense out on him, just a, such a massive difference. I love to see it. I love to see him have another big day on the boards. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest things he brings to this team for sure. Tominaga then Mike goes for 14 two, does not have an assist, goes four for 11 from the field, only one for six from deep. Mike, I think somehow, some way, Fred needs to find a way to, to get him going because we're going to need a much more efficient for Big Ten play. Um, he's only shooting 33% from deep so far this season. And I don't even want to imagine what his field goal percentage is because it might be even lower than that. I feel like he just hasn't shot well anywhere, frankly. Um, 
and I guess I don't know. What what do you think? Is he is it is he having a hard time adjusting to his role in this offense compared to last year where he was kind of the guy and now we have a little more distributed scoring. You know, we had I think it was like six players with double digits this game, so it's not just kind of a one man show with Tominaga this year and he's not gonna get quite as many looks. Maybe he's having a hard time adjusting to that. You know, maybe um, you know, defensive have kind of keyed in on him since last year a little bit. It's just been a rough go. Maybe he needs to just come in off the bench one of these games and see if that'll give him a spark or something. But I agree. He's got to gotta figure it out, got to get way more efficient coming into conference play. Yeah, it's a weird deal. I feel like it's a combination of defenses draping all over him as well as, to your point, not being the spotlight of the offense necessarily as we've kind of seen a little bit more of a scoring distribution throughout the lineup. But the shots just visually don't look like they're coming as easy as they were last year. I don't know if it has something to do with you know, his own game, if it has something to do with the screens they're setting him more than anything, it probably again has to do with how the defenses are playing him. But it just seems like he has seriously just about no room to operate on, on any shot he's taken. So let's, let's hope Fred can kind of get something going on that side of things. Bryce Williams goes for 12, seven and three on four of 12 shooting from the field did not make a three pointer on his five attempts. Um, I would probably venture to say, although it's an okay stat line, if I had to ask Bryce tomorrow, he probably would say he didn't play a good game. Yeah, the 0 for 5 from 3 really stands out to me. You know, if you, you take that away, he went 4 for four for 7 inside the arc and perfect from the free throw line, a 4 for 4. So efficient elsewhere, but but beyond the arc just wasn't there. I've been – the thing that stood out to me in these last handful of games is his rebounding. I thought if I, if I, I feel like it's been, you know, much improved from earlier in the season. He wasn't pulling down double-digit boards, seven boards, nine boards. Uh, like he has in these last few games, which is something that I'm really happy to see come from, you know, a guy playing the three, um, not just putting it all up on the front court, you know, on Mast or Alec or, or whoever we have out on the floor, Jawan Gary. So um, glad to see him getting more involved on the rebound. Yeah, uh, yeah inefficient night, not typical what you'd, you know, expect to come to see from Bryce Williams, but uh, still not too worried about his game. I think, you know, it's one of those nights sometimes where you just can't can't find the the range, so. Then Lawrence goes for 14-1-3 on 4 of 10 shooting for the field, 2 of 6 from 3. He took on much more of a shooter's, shooter's role this game, Mike, and I would love, love to see these kind of numbers while not going to, you know, eye-popping stats or anything like that. Would love to see a consistent 10-point-a-game performance from him. Yeah, very important, I think, for us, especially in this game. We needed, obviously, all the points, all the scoring we could get uh, from everybody, but um, obviously I think as we've discussed, he's not like your necessarily true point guard. So I think he's definitely a little more comfortable being in that position of, of kind of being a scorer. And I think we can see that when he does get up the shots, he does get a, a little bit more of an opportunity to, to shoot the ball instead of trying to be a facilitator. So, um, kind of interesting. I, I don't know if he's settling kind of into maybe a combo guard area where he's, he's still getting shots up, maybe more of a, a score first point guard might be something that we need to look at, but, um, glad to see, glad to see he had a pretty great night. Um, you know, like I said, we needed it for sure. Then obviously in Mast's absence, Alec gets a, st- a spot in the starting rotation, scores 10, six and two on five of seven shooting for the field. Did miss the one, three pointer that he took. Um, you, you know, Mike, this is never going to be a guy that's going to take the spotlight, uh, you know, when he's on the floor, obviously plays with a lot of energy, but, um, uh, played a really nice game given that he's kind of thrown into the fire. Um, given, you know, the, the mass thing that happened this week. Yeah. And I think obviously he was starting for us earlier in the year. So it's definitely not something that he's, he's not used to being in that starting role. Um, 
but yeah, definitely a little bit different of a position for him. You know, normally playing the four the, tonight, kind of more in the five position, five role where, where Mass normally would be. So, uh, love love to see the, the effort and the hustle that he always brings. You know, he's obviously very efficient when he did shoot the ball. You know, he went five for seven. He did miss the one three he had, but um, you know, obviously a lot of his shots are coming from pretty close to the hoop. So you'd you'd expect him to be efficient, but. Uh, seeing him to get back in the starting lineup, you know, that might be a little tough. I know he had had kind of an ankle injury a couple of weeks ago, so good to see him healthy. Good to see him back uh, in the starting lineup and, and performing pretty well for us this game. So the question that obviously follows up Alex's performance is when can we expect to get masked back? You know, Fred has kind of talked about hopefully maybe early January. He actually had a quote to share in his postgame press conference. Yeah. So rank, uh, rank had some swelling in his knee last week, a couple days before the Kansas state game. And uh, got a scan on it just to try to figure out the best treatment option for him. And they found a little loose piece of cartilage in there. So uh, the decision was made to play the Kansas State game. Uh, Surgery went very well. Uh, Doc was really happy uh, with how it went. And he's got very minimal swelling. He's moving around uh, really well. He actually walked on the treadmill a little bit today. Um, You know, overall, hopefully uh, we'll get him back. We don't have an exact time frame. I can't give an exact day that he'll be back, but we're hoping sometime in early January. And Mike, it was very apparent, especially in the first half, uh, mass absence made uh, you know all fans of Nebraska basketball pretty nervous when we were watching how how bad we were getting beat on the boards. That was yeah one of my biggest takeaways from this game is that just what he brings. We the the team, the Huskers as a whole, definitely miss what he brings to the floor. He's rebounding his. His ability to, to score inside and out. Um, he's, a, he's a great, you know, interior defender. I think he does a great job contesting shots without fouling. So I think, yeah, it's pretty obvious that we missed him. Thank, thankfully, you know, it sounds like he'll be back relatively soon. I hope I hope he is. I know our, our January schedule is pretty brutal. So if he's out for any any much longer than, than early January, that would kind of put a little bit of a damper for me on, on the outlook for the season, frankly, because I think we have four or five quad one opportunities in January. And if he has to be out for, for quite an extended time, that'd definitely be tough. I'm not saying that it's not possible for this team to win without him. You know, they showed that here, especially coming back from 14 down in the second half, you know, it'd be easy to fold, but team showed some resiliency without, without an important piece and, and, and managed to get the, the win anyways. So obviously we talked about, you know, mass not being there causes a lot of adversity as well as falling behind up to 14 points. But uh, you know, this team finally, you know, they responded as they have, you know, for three straight games now in the second half. Uh, Fred was very excited with the team's response at halftime. Uh, you know, they dominated the glass in the first half. They, they, they crushed us out there. They were getting the loose balls. Um, you know, at halftime, we really challenged them. They, they just kind of had that blank stare on their face, and they were looking at the floor. And, you know, I just, you know, get, getting after them to say, guys, you understand how good of a basketball team we are? when we go out there and are the harder playing more together team. And it wasn't the same in the huddles, you know, with guys talking to each other and trying to lead uh, out there. And to their credit, after those first couple possessions in the second half, they responded in a big way. And Mike, they did respond in a big way. We saw a couple short runs. Uh, Nebraska went on a 10-0 run with help from Sam Hoiberg. Uh, Tomanaga got hot there for a stretch. But Mike, the biggest question this raises to me out of this game is who is this alpha dog? And we've talked about it a little bit, you know, between episodes and here and there. But, you know, when you get into situations like this, especially come Big Ten play when you're not playing a Summit League team, you're going to have to have a guy to go to 
you know, to get a run started, to get a stretch going, who in your eyes is going to be that guy for us if we get down, you know, 10 points to Indiana with 12 to play? I think I've always, I've always kind of leaned towards, towards Bryce Williams. I think he's probably our best pure scorer. So if we're looking for a bucket, that's who I'd go to. But I think the guy that brings, you know, brings a little bit more to the table as far as maybe alpha dog, whatever you want to call it. I love what Juwan Gary has, has showed us so far. I think he brings a lot of energy. I think he brings, um, you know, he can score inside out. He is not afraid to put his head down and go to the hoop, which when you're looking a little flat, I think is, is pretty important to try to get to the, get to the basket and make something happen. So uh, me personally, if I, if I'm Fred, I'd probably be leaning towards one of those two guys, probably leaning me personally a little heavier towards uh, Juwan Gary, but uh, I don't know. It's the fact that, you know, it's kind of up in the air at this point. We're 12 games into the season. I don't have a definitive answer is kind of a little, a little weird for me, but maybe that's just the kind of team we're going to have, frankly. So rounding it out, the Nebraska does find a way to avert disaster, winning 83 to 75 as leave 17 and a half point favorites. So not what we were expecting out of this team, but at the end of the day, you don't apologize for a win and you take it and move on. So we hold them. To 39% shooting from the field, 34% from three. They shoot 71% from the stripe, and they have 11 assists to 11 turnovers. Huskers, on the other hand, again, 46% from the field, 34% from three, 74% from the stripe, showing again that they can make free throws when it counts down the stretch, and they have a 14 assist to nine turnover ratio. So now that we've shared our thoughts, Huskers, let's hear from you. So Husker fans, let's hear from you. So we got a lot of responses on this one. Obviously, you know, a lot of stress from, you know, all fans watching or listening on the radios. This is on Big Ten Plus, I believe, so not easily accessible to everybody. But let's get into it, Mike, and share a couple of them. Luke Heisler, four, says a win is a win. And Scotty MC 33 says never apologize for winning. And as ugly as it may have looked at times and as nervous as we all may have been, Mike, at the end of the day, we're 10 and 2. That's really what it comes down to. I'm not going to be... Uh, upset, you know, obviously it wasn't pretty. It wasn't what we had expected or, or hoped to see. You know, we would mentioned, you know, if we're looking at net rankings, it'd be helpful to blow these guys out. But what really helps the net rankings is a win instead of a loss. So I, I'm more than happy to take uh, an ugly, an ugly win and then chalk it up in the, in the left-hand column there on the, on the record and 10 and two um, going into our next one with a, with a good chance to be 11 and two, hopefully going, going into big 10 play. Noah Post 10 says, sloppy first half, but good to see us battle through it and come out on top. This is a game we would have lost in years past. And T-Squirrel says, a little sloppy, but some nice second half adjustments again. Hurt, it hurts some not having Mast out there, and past teams would have lost that game. You know, I, I tend to agree again that past teams may have lost this game, but um, the, again, the big thing that I noticed in, in Fred's quote that we shared earlier, and you know, not to bring up the alpha dog thing again, but he mentioned that the huddle energy wasn't the same. And he noticed if you listen to the full press conference that the energy wasn't the same and the guys were kind of beat up. Is this something that you could just chalk up to was just a big letdown spot and that's kind of the cause of the first half? Or what would you say that you attribute it to? I'd say mostly uh, just kind of, kind of a classic letdown spot coming off a couple big wins in the, in the week prior over Michigan state and, and Kansas state. So, um, Easy to see the guys sleepwalking into this one, especially, you know, the holiday, Christmas break, whatever, coming up for the guys. Understandable. Um, and and I'm, that's what I'd mostly chalk it up to. I will say it is slightly alarming that we've been kind of a second-half team so far, and 
um, kind of relied on coming back in the second half. I don't want to live that way personally for my the sake of my heart health. So I'd love to see him get out to a lead in the first half and then put one away for once. But uh, yeah, for me, I, I just think, you know, it's a classic letdown spot. Like I said, a couple big wins. You got, you got the break coming up. It's it's not too surprising, especially with a starter out. You know, um, I don't find it too too surprising that they were pretty low energy to, to come out and start. Whizbang Hoops said that's three straight second halves we've dominated. Fred's making the adjustments necessary to win, and he desperately hopes early January in regards to Mass means January 2nd, which is the day before the Indiana game. And I think that's kind of lost in a lot of this, Mike. Obviously, over the past two, three years, a lot of people have been very critical about Hoiberg and the program and, and how he's kind of operated it. But for as much you know criticism as he took in the early parts of his tenure, I think he equally deserves the praise for what he's done so far this year. Yeah, you know, I just said that I don't love love living as a second half comeback team, but I do love the ability to make the adjustments and make a comeback happen. So yeah, I I will. I think he deserves more than his fair share of credit. Um, everyone wants to criticize him. I know even after like the Minnesota game, we we're talking for a little bit like, oh, is he on the hot seat? Whatever. He's done a fantastic job with this team this year. I think you know it's always tough, especially with transfers and new guys coming in. Um, to, to kind of make a team gel and then work the way he has. And, and I love to see the fact that we're making these big second half adjustments and um, ending up with, with wins at the end of the day. Cause these are the types of games, frankly, that we would lose in, in past years for sure. Connor Houston says he didn't think Mast's absence would be this apparent. And it's obvious Fred isn't ready to trust Matar. Alec did all he could tonight. and His effort does not go unnoticed. Uh, also, welcome back, C.J. Wilcher. Fred told us he'd be coming, uh, and he did indeed show up. Uh, and he asked, do you guys think Juwan is fighting another shoulder injury? And it's very interesting he brings that up. We saw in the K-State game he was holding his shoulder a little bit. I've, but I, other games prior to that, I forget specifically what teams are. We've kind of seen him holding that shoulder from time to time, You know, getting maybe some extended breaks coming off the floor. I really hope this isn't something that ends up lingering around, Mike, because at the end of the day, Gary and Mast both are such huge, huge parts of this team. Yeah, our front court has been the bit, the biggest thing for me this year, frankly. I think they've been some of our best players. I, I know, yeah, I know you're talking about, you know, I think it was the K-State game, um, maybe even in the Michigan State game like a little bit. I can't exactly remember. But, yeah, he came off the floor, you know, holding his, I think it was his left shoulder. No, maybe his right shoulder. I can't remember. One of his shoulders – yeah, I hope I hope he's not nursing an injury. Um, you know, he's playing on he's playing, you know, 34 minutes, 35 minutes, 36 minutes, so he's playing most of the game. Um, I I'd, I'd like to think especially in these types of games or games where um we have it more put away early. Um he could get a little bit of a rest. Obviously, that didn't necessarily happen this game. Maybe next game we can see that, but um I I don't Hopefully, I hope he's not nursing an injury. I, I hope him and Master are available because I think they're kind of the cornerstone of this team from what I've seen so far. Z Gamar says, a win is a win regardless of Mast. We need to work through the paint. The ball movement has not been good enough. I'm confused with Williams. I wish he'd take over a game. And what happened to Coleman and why isn't he seeing minutes? So I want to start by saying uh, the ball movement, I think obviously it all kind of stems without, you know, from not having a true point guard. That can't be understated that the team is kind of a not point guard by committee, by committee, I, you know, specifically, but, you know, Fred has said that uh, Lawrence is, is learning live on the job. This isn't something he's ever done before. He didn't really even do it in his prep career. So, 
you know, we kind of need to just be as patient with them as we can, because it's not like we have a whole, you know, ton of, of other options that we can go to. That being said, Mike, um, you know, we've noticed the last three games now, I think Coleman has been a DNP. What's your outlook for Boogie Coleman? Is he kind of a reserve now that we're just waiting to see, you know, hopefully we don't need him in case of due to injury or what's your outlook there? It's tough to say. I know he definitely had uh, a tough couple outings in his last couple times that he did play, you know, a handful of turnovers. But um, I think he's a, a great player, as we had mentioned in our preview for the season. I think he's he's got all the tools he can he can make, uh, you know, he can make a run on his own. He's, he's a great scorer. I think he's probably our best true point guard, if we want to talk about it that way. Um, as far as what's his role here on out, it's, it's tough for me to say, obviously he hasn't played a whole lot recently. Um, and you know, there's definitely been times where it'd be nice to have another guard to be able to come in and then get some quality minutes. So tough for me to say, I'd love to see him maybe get another shot, but I think, you know, that's kind of dependent on how he's performing in, in practice, what the, the coaches are seeing from him, um, and how much, how much faith or trust they have to put into him with that one, you know, I'm sure he'll get another, another chance here down the road at some point, um, how he's going to perform. And I'd love to see him come out and, and perform well and give us another great bench piece that we can go to if need be. Andrew Hansen says the first half intensity was lacking, but much better than the second Lawrence and Alec had tremendous second halves and North Dakota is way better than their 264 Ken Palm ranking uh, with uh, Ian, Ian Nod, whatever that guy's name was that, that came in. Um, I can't read my own handwriting. That's ironic. But uh, yeah, it, it's very clear that that guy, you know, we didn't even necessarily touch on him in the preview episode. I think the first game he played all season was Utah Tech. So, you know, I, I'd be the first to tell you that I don't watch North Dakota Fighting Hawk basketball, so I don't keep up with the headlines or anything like that. Um, but obviously he was a game changer and he gave them another score alongside Omad and and Eagle Staff. And, and that's a – Mike, I think I totally agree. That's going to be a really, really good team come Summit League play now that they have all their pieces. Yeah, I mean, obviously we'll see how it plays out. It's not like Summit League's a – it's not like we're not talking about the Big 12 here or anything. That's a super, super, you know, impressive – a lot of great teams in the league. But uh, we'll, we'll see. You know, and I think if – yeah, Iannaccio, Iannaccio, however you pronounce his name, you know, if, he, if he's av- uh, available and he can, he can keep putting up those numbers, he brings a, an, an important piece to their team. So we'll see how it goes in, in you know, the Summit League. I'm a little hesitant to say, you know, they're better than their 262 ranking or whatever because they had not performed up to this point in the season. Maybe this is the best game they've played all year. Who I don't, I'm not going to say that. I, as you mentioned, I don't watch a lot of Fighting Hawk basketball either, but um, I think they played pretty well, obviously. You know, they gave us a run for our money. Glad to see we could pull out a win. So we'll see how the year shapes up for them. Uh, always here for another Midwest school though. So I'd love to love to see if they could, they could uh, turn it around and, and maybe make a run for the summer league for sure. Palm Swayze said, Gary is insane on the glass. We need to have him healthy. CJ has been a good spark and it was a good night for an off game for the Huskers. And Jacob Wright 27 says we are outplayed in all aspects in the first half. The deficit got all the way up to 14, but thankfully the Huskers did not panic. Sandstorm was played and bring back the Fighting Sioux, which is North Dakota's former mascot, which is actually what I thought they were preseason before I actually did my research. Didn't realize they changed their name. But, uh, Mike, a lot of good points there, but the most important to me was that Sandstorm was played. Our prayers, my prayers specifically, are being answered. I've been the lead gladiator for this charge, and I actually was not, as I mentioned, in the building for this spectacular moment of Nebraska basketball history. Um, 
but but I had a multiple <laughs> direct sources tell me that they played it and it was at the right time. They did it correctly. So I can't tell you how much seeing that made my night. Yeah, no, give uh give give props and give credit to the uh the people that put on the, the show for the game and and do all that stuff. That's nice to see that. Love to see that. Hate that we needed uh Sandstorm after a run versus North Dakota, but Hey, uh, you know, it's a, it's a good learning experience for our guys to, to grind it back down. And it's a good learning experience for the producers, for the fan experience to learn when to play Sandstorm. And maybe going forward, uh, we'll, we'll see a little bit more of it. So all we can do is, you know, give them props. They did, they did the right thing. They did what we've been asking for, and hopefully they keep it up. And all I ask is that we don't take one step forward and two steps back. Now that we've figured it out, let's keep it going. Let's practice again with South Carolina State, and let's bring this into Big Ten play. I am so happy that this has been adjusted for the right. So uh, that being said, we'll move into our South Carolina State preview on the other side. You are listening to the Scarlet Shootaround Podcast. The South Carolina State Preview here is brought to you by Tax and Business Consultants, providing all of the tax, accounting, payroll, and consulting that your business needs. They partner with you to specifically tailor strategies suited to you and your business. Committed to positive client outcomes since 1961, they have been relieving stress-related to taxes in all forms. Offices are located in Blair, Columbus, and Lyons, so make sure to give them a call at 402 426 4144 or visit their website at www.tbc.tax. So thanks again to Tax and Business Consultants for sponsoring us here on the Scarlet Shootaround podcast. Mike, let's break down South Carolina State. They are 4-10 and 10 on the year, Ken Palm 337 and net ranking of 331. Preseason picked 8th in the MEAC, which is uh, actually has 8 teams in it, so that would be dead last. Notable wins uh, out of their four, I think two of them were Division Two, but their best win is 275 Ken Palm Jacksonville at home, 86 to 85 in overtime. Notable losses include number 43 Pittsburgh, 86 to 50 on the road, and number 82 Missouri, 82 to 59 on the road. As for their full Ken Palm stats, uh, offense they are 310th, defense they are 340th, tempo they are 71st. Uh, notable stats that stick out, offensive rebounding, they are 13th, and turnover de- uh, turnover defense, they are 67th. So, Mike, not a whole lot to be too scared about with this team, but they do flash in a couple spots. What do you take away from this team? Yeah, uh, as you mentioned, 4-10 and 10 with two wins over D2 schools. Uh, we talked, you know, in the uh, the Fighting Hawks preview, that maybe those wins shouldn't necessarily count. So I might say the same thing. Maybe they're more of a two and 10 team, but um, they're all know they're in the right column, I guess, for them. Not a very intimidating team, as you mentioned. You know, I, I wrote down here as it's taken notes, they're pretty poor all around on offense. They're, uh, they shoot under 27% from three. It's 342nd in the country. They're under 45% from two, which is 321st. Uh, they shoot 67% from the free throw line, and they uh, have a 12.6 steal percentage. So, so 12 and a half uh, percent of the, you know what is that? One in every eight, one in every six, maybe possessions, something like that. Yeah, one in every eight possessions ends up um, with a steal. So, not very intimidating on the offensive end. As you had mentioned, though, you know they get a lot of offensive rebounds. 
um, which is slightly confusing to me because they don't grab a lot of defensive rebounds. Other teams rebound the ball 32.2% of the time on offense, which is makes them, you know, 270th in the country in defensive rebounding. So um, maybe they're drawing up some plays or something to get their guys a good chance running at the hoop to get an offensive board. But uh, I, I think the Huskers will, will have a pretty good chance to, to handle them on the glass. Um, hopefully they take care of the ball because, as you mentioned, they like to, to swipe a little bit. You know, they're 68th or 60, I think, yeah, 20% uh, defensive turnover turnover percent. So uh, they'll, they'll get some easy takeaways and easy buckets is what they're looking for. But I think the uh, Huskers should be pretty well equipped to, to handle them. Yeah, Mike, I think we just have to call a spade. This team is really bad. This team is just really bad. They have no scores averaging in the double digits. They give up a ton of threes. They don't get back on defense. Uh, like I, you know, we talked about their one serious strength is offensive rebounding. They attack the offensive glass with force. 13th in the country at 37.7%. Um, you know, they do poke the ball away a little bit. They're 68th in the country again in, in defensive steals. So, um, you know, a couple bright spots. But, Mike, as you very well laid out, this team, they, they're just bad. They're, they're very simply bad. They're 337th in Ken Palm out of 362 possible teams. Projected to last, projected to last place in one of the worst conferences in the country. This game should never be in doubt with the Huskers. This should never be a problem. But going down a couple of their pieces on their team, their point guard Mitchell Taylor, a six-three freshman, averaging nine-three and two, shooting thirty-eight percent from the field and seven percent from three. Um, he's at, is averaging one point one steals a game though, but total non-factor beyond the arc. Um, other guys that stick out. Uh, their best, one of their best three point shooters, Shimon Alston, a six, four senior averaging four, two and two, uh, 34% from the field, 43% from three on, uh, for his stat line on only seven attempts this year, uh, 47% free throw shooter. So abysmal from the stripe so far. Um, you know, Wilson Dubinsky, a guy they'll bring off the bench. He's a six, two senior averaging eight, two and one. He's 37% from the field on the year, 33% from deep, but he's their main three point shooter. He has 71 attempts this year, which is actually 11 more than Kase. So, that kind of puts that into perspective. The guy just absolutely chucks it, moves it all the time. Um, but you know, just go, going up and down, Mike. This team just that, there's really no specific threat here. Um, their best rebounder, Davian Everett, a six six junior, averaging ten seven and one, probably their best well rounded player, shooting forty nine percent from the field, over seven from three. So again, I'm going to pull out the line. Maybe he should get the red light. He hasn't hit a single three yet this year, shooting zero percent. Um, but he's obviously their best rebounder. So. Um, I mean, Mike, do you see any individual statistic on this team that we need to game plan for specifically? Not, no, I can't say, you know, when I was doing my preview, uh, you know, you had mentioned uh, Alston, you know, I was like, oh, damn, he's shooting 43% from three. Yeah, that, as you'd mentioned, that's only on seven attempts. Um, so that, that scared me for a second until I looked at the raw numbers and I realized that he doesn't ever shoot the ball from beyond the arc, so. Um, no, I, I'll be, as you said, let's call a spade a spade. I'll be honest with you. There's nothing that's given me too much pause here. Um, it's, I'm looking at the free throw percentages and there are multiple people below like 55%. Um, and I know that's just one part of the game, but heaven forbid we have to foul to in a close game. I think that we'd be in a good spot there. I mean, I hope we're not in that spot, but yeah, there's nothing that really intimidates me. As we, you know, mentioned a couple times now, offensive rebounding they're pretty good at, but I think we got the the guys uh, down low that, that should be able to take care of that. I project, you know, our front court will probably have a hell of a game. Juwan Gary will probably have a hell of a game for however many minutes he gets. Maybe 
won't be as many um, as it has been recently. I'd love to see, as you'd mentioned, I think kind of before, you know, maybe Eli Rice and Matar Jope, you know, getting some more minutes, uh, get some some of those young guys some minutes. Maybe we can see Boogie Coleman back out on the floor this game if, if we got a, a good lead and see what he can provide. Um, and, yeah, I, I'm not very scared of this team there. Yeah, we, we there's a, a million ways to say it, a hundred different stats we can point out that say they're not good, and that's what it really boils down to. Yeah, the only th- the thing of note, you know, outside of what we've already talked about is they're actually second in the country in bench minutes. So they kind of just run out full-on reinforcements. Now, I don't know if that's because they just can't pick a best five out of their roster. That's kind of what it almost seems like to me. Um, they just kind of are having live game tryouts to for minutes, it seems, almost. But um, And then almost every single one of their, you know, scoring opportunities comes from inside as evidenced kind of by their offensive rebounding. They are 13th in the country in two-point scoring distribution at 59.9%. So almost every single one of their points comes from uh, comes from two. So Mike, Ken Palm is projecting an 88-64 to 64 Nebraska win. Torvik projecting a 90-65 to 65 Nebraska win. So let's put this projected point spread at Nebraska minus 24 and a half. Are you willing to lay that many points? Three touchdowns and a field goal? <laughs> um. You know, it's it's a lot of points. They're yeah, as you had mentioned, they're kind of doing a platoon system, but this isn't the early 2010s Kentucky platoon system where you're bringing in multiple five stars off the bench. No, this is a little bit different platoon system. Um, they'll have fresh legs, which can always pose a problem, perhaps if they have a you know if they can poke the ball away and get some get some, some easy breaks. I will. Uh, I, I I will take the points here, though. Um, Obviously, this isn't a good team, but I recall saying that in our last matchup, and suddenly that was a sweater. Uh, you know, we're not going to have Mast again uh, this game. They they do crash the offensive glass, and they, they can generate turnovers. I know we've kind of been turnover prone a little bit in a couple of our games, so maybe that's something that they can take advantage of. I don't see it being close necessarily. I can see like a 88-70, you know, maybe not even that, maybe like an 85-63, something like that, um, which butts it right up against that line you gave me. But I think I would take the points here, frankly, once again, this is not financial advice, but I think they'll keep it closer than the uh, than the 24, personally. I'm actually going to take Nebraska and, and lay the points, Mike. I think coming off of winter break, this team uh, is going to want to make a statement win. Uh, not only for you know the net little hit that they took, I think they dropped six spots. Obviously, not too meaningful at this juncture. But uh, after that game against North Dakota, I think the team's going to want to come back on the right foot. Uh, you know, you'll have fresh legs under them after a nice four or five day break. Uh, I think the guard play ramps up. I think there'll be a lot of scoring. Hopefully, we see obviously as you mentioned more minutes from Eli Rice and Matar. Maybe get some opportunities. I'd love to see Boogie get another opportunity to to get you know five six minutes and see what he can do. Uh, but the biggest thing here with laying this many points, Mike, is you always have to be wary of the back door. The good news, again, we talked about is that they don't make their free throws. So I think that'll help extend us over the line of 24 and a half. I'm going to predict uh, a Nebraska 91 to 64 victory in this one. So that being said, we'll catch you on the other side and we'll get you out of here. You are listening to the Scarlet Shootaround podcast. We want to thank all of you guys again for listening into this episode of the Scarlet Shootaround podcast. Uh, not a whole lot of uh, interesting tidbits in this one as we uh, 
you know, recapped a Summit League opponent and are now previewing a MIAC opponent. Last time we'll have to do that this year, so that's good news. Uh, but, Mike, let's get to 11-2 and two and let's start Big Ten play on the right foot. Yeah, no, I can't uh, can't emphasize enough how how incredible it'd be to be 11 and two going into conference play. Um, obviously we've, we've played two conference games and we're one and one, maybe not the way most people would have projected us to be one and one at this point with a loss over or a loss to Minnesota and a win over Michigan state. But um, I know I've brought it up a couple times now in the last couple of episodes, how big this January is as far as, you know, if we're going to talk about bracketology and, and hopes of making the dance, how many big time wins we're going to have here, uh, opportunities for wins uh, we can have here in January. So I agree with you. Let's, you know, put put uh, put them away early here, take care of business, get some uh, bench minutes, let our starters get some extra rest going into the, the bulk of our conference play here with the rest of our season. And um, let's get a couple big wins maybe in, in January and we can really see some excitement around the program, uh, maybe get a couple more eyeballs because I know I've seen – on message boards, people are afraid to, to believe the hype and things won't be different this time, but I'm feeling pretty pretty confident that they will be. So, uh, you know, excited to see what the guys bring in 2024, but let's finish out 2023 on the right note. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Scarlet Shoot Pod for daily updates and fan interaction. I've respond uh, to pretty much every single tweet that we get. Uh, make sure we kind of keep the interaction with uh, our fans and Nebraska fans at nauseum uh, at its peak as much as we can. And then, uh, again, Mike does a fantastic job with the video podcast. Those are usually posted a day after uh, they go live on your spot or your uh, podcasting cho- uh, app of choice. So make sure to follow us on YouTube and subscribe at Scarlet Shoot Pod. I believe you can just shoot, shoot, uh, search Scarlet Shoot Around Podcast and, and you'll find it just as easily. So make sure if uh, video is your preferred podcasting way of consumption that you subscribe to us there. That being said, Mike, uh, any parting words before we get out of here? Uh, South Carolina State Bulldogs are not a good team. The Huskers, I think, are a pretty good team, uh, and that's that's what uh, that's what this episode basically boils down to. So, <laughs> <laughs> so thank you all for listening, uh, and we will catch you next episode. Go Big Red.